episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. no statute of limitations on trauma. We have to stop judging each other for what we think our trauma is. Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey guys, it's Lara. Birth. I'm here today with Melissa, and we're going to actually be having a conversation, just the two of us, which is a unique thing for the podcast, for those of you who've listened before. Um, as a reminder, for those of you who are new, um, I am in my third year of nurse midwifery school, and I'm on my path to becoming a nurse midwife and having my doctorate in nursing. And I'm here today with my co-creator and co-host, Melissa. Hey, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a mom and a writer and a coach, and uh, we started this podcast to really create space for women to share their stories and to experience community and togetherness in in the experiences of motherhood. Uh, A lot of the work that I do is with women around their experiences of loss and grief, as that's a big part of my story. Um, and today we're going to kind of just do a little bit of a, a check-in with each other, a check-in with you guys, a little bit of a refresh on how this conversation is shaped here on the podcast. So we're excited to do that today. Yeah, for those of you uh, joining us or maybe joined us within the last year and a half or so, um, we have been a podcast releasing episodes focusing on giving a platform for women to share their stories. Um, and opening a listening ear, I think we've definitely learned a lot uh, over this year and really looking forward to um, interacting with women um, in the years to come. Like Melissa mentioned, she's really working with women um, in the framework of loss and learning to trust their bodies again. And she'll share a little bit more about that with you guys. And as I mentioned, I'm currently in school. And so I will, I am studying um, birth trauma and the effects it have on women into the postpartum period. And I think I, I think it's safe to say, Melissa, you can correct me, that I think a lot of the endeavors that we're on now have come from the podcast yeah. um, and from listening to women and meeting women and hearing what they're asking for and what they're needing, but also just just listening to stories and hearing themes. Yeah, I love I love how the podcast is becoming sort of this foundation for all of these different spaces that we're able to create. And as we've been introduced to so many incredible women over the last year and a half that have been guests on the show, um, you know, mothers and, and, you know, birth workers and women's health workers and mental health professionals, all these people that, you know, have so much to add to the conversation around birth and motherhood. It's been really inspiring to see what direction our, you know, our, individual personal journeys have taken I think you know it's it's really cool Lara I want to ask you some questions just about how you know your your doctoral project is shaping up and I know that it's been really influenced by this by the space that the podcast has created 
For sure. Um, for people unfamiliar with a doctorate in nursing, I feel like it's something I explain a lot, which is basically it is what's called the terminal practice degree, which means um, a doctorate in nursing is the height of degree in the practice of nursing. So what I'm really doing in this endeavor is on one hand, I'm doing a traditional midwifery apprenticeship model where I'm spending time with midwives, doing deliveries, learning hands-on skills, learning um, how to support women in birth as a midwife. And on the other hand, I'm doing this very academic pursuit of understanding the extent to which nurses can impact the actual practice of medicine mm. and ultimately of nursing. So um, originally when I decided that I wanted to work in birth work, you can listen to my whole story um, and we'll share those in the show notes, links back to our kind of personal stories and journeys. I knew that I wanted to kind of go a more Western medical route because I wanted to work with women in the space in which most women interact with healthcare in the United States, which is formal healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um So knowing that, um, getting my doctorate in nursing practice made a lot of sense because what you work on in this degree program is actually developing a project that enables you to change a practice um, in a community. So originally, the community that I saw that working with was the midwives that I was working with. And so one of the needs that they had talked about in their community was a lot of women seek midwifery care secondary to trauma. Mm. So maybe in their first birth, they had a traumatic, what they identify as a traumatic birth, whether that's a traumatic outcome or just a traumatic experience. And I think anyone who's listened to a lot of birth stories know that there is plenty of uh, dissatisfaction um, hurt and wounds when it comes to birth experience. Those are all things that can be a part of your story. And uh, specifically, this group of midwives really felt like they were hearing that from women who are seeking their care for their second, third, maybe even fourth yeah. pregnancy. So they had found these women in their community who have been promoted as safe and welcoming t- to birth and welcoming to women's desires for birth. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of bringing that into that space. And I think we hear that a lot from women on the show, um, whether that's, again, a traumatic first birth experience or maybe a traumatic experience in life that then kind of impacts yeah. birth. So then when you are pregnant and planning on an, the next birth, you have these, whether they're memories, experiences, or emotions connected to birth that you're bringing into that second experience. And the gap really in um these midwives mind was what do we do with people who this is their story and they're approaching their next birth? How do we help Mm. them? Basically, you know, very similar to Melissa's endeavors. How do we help them trust their body? But ultimately how do we help them trust birth? And also how do we help them like process and integrate the birth experience that they've already had? It's, and for so many, no, I was just going to say what's so crazy. And I know I've told you this story before, but when I was pregnant with Etni, um, you know, just a year and a half or whatever ago, I decided to go back to therapy again to, you know, I just felt the need to do more work around the, you know, the losses that I'd experienced and particularly the stillbirth of my son Rowan a few years prior. And I felt like I had done so much work around that. I had been through therapy. I'd done a lot of personal work, but I just felt like, gosh, I have a birth coming up. It would be really beneficial to just go back into that space and be really intentional about making sure that I have unpacked what I need to unpack and that I have the tools that I need and that I've got some, you know, safety mechanisms in place. And I've got some, you know, I've got the support that I need. And I have someone that kind of a professional that kind of knows what my baseline is so that I can kind of come 
back and check in and say, Hey, like, how, how is this going? And the craziest thing is that what came up in, you know, seeing her for a period of 12 weeks or something before Etney was born was that I actually had really processed to not, not that there's no more processing to do at all, but you know, I had the work that I needed to do was around the, the birth trauma that I had with my first son, Aiden, not the loss that I experienced with Rowan. And that blew my mind. I had, I did not expect that at all. Like the trauma that I experienced in that first birth on paper seems like it would be so much less than the trauma of, of a stillbirth. And it doesn't mean I didn't experience trauma in, in my stillbirth, but what, like the remnants of what occurred in that first birth and how latent those were inside of me and how much they were still impacting my psychology, my, my, my entire thought process about birth and what I expected of it and what I expected of my postpartum period and all of those things was, was primarily impacted by that first trauma. Right. And I think, you know, that's why I kind of tried it to include that. in what I'm saying is I feel like it doesn't have to be, I had a birth and this is how it went. It was traumatic. And now I'm in my second birth. It could be your second birth or your third birth, or it could not be birth. It could be a, a, a healthcare experience or something that happened to your child. I know we've spoken with women who, you know, oh, I had a great birth and postpartum period, but then my son got sick. And that was my primary trauma is like the, the impact of what that was like as a mother versus before I was a mother. And I think something that's super important and that I'm encountering. So again, kind of unpacking this, what I do is I do a ton of reading about what what's out there. What are people doing about trauma? So women, as we all know, are always the last people to have implementation to take, have self-care. So it took us a very long time to be recognized for postpartum depression. We've shared about this on the show. Women have shared, I do think we're at an all-time high of awareness that postpartum depression exists. However, we are still at a huge deficit for treatment. So that's kind of postpartum depression. That's something that's, that's a conversation in the women's health environment. Sexual trauma has its own kind of category of how it's being addressed and how it's being disparaged in the women's health community. Again, kind of the same thing. I think Me Too movements, current things that are going on are, are encouraging women to come forward about trauma. But again, what are the services? What is the, what is the support that happens after, after you come forward or after you... Um, confront that part of your history or part of your present so and I think because having um, a voice is only part it's only part of healing absolutely and so really taking a look at okay so if we use if we use the term post-traumatic stress disorder that's something that really around in the 80s started to get a lot of traction as we know with um, service people who served in the military primarily and then also people who were victims of war or even in some refugee populations. Again, that's another underserved community. However, it started to get a little traction in the psychological community. And so women's healthcare providers started to think, this is what I see when I, when I have someone who has traumatic birth, I see something that's connected towards this kind of this realm of PTSD. I kind of see these similar symptoms, similar life impacts of people who have PTSD. However, there's, there was still a huge gap in people actually addressing or identifying um, birth as a causation or an activation of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And then again, continuing into, for some people, again, it may not actually be your birth. It could be your pregnancy or right. it could be your postpartum period that causes um, trauma to you. And then secondarily, post-traumatic stress 
symptoms or disorder. And so I feel like, you know, in all the reading and research I'm doing, it basically is a shining a light on another area where we go, okay, we're finally understanding, we're finally kind of having strong, brave women share their story and strong, brave women and men support them in that in healthcare, but there's still a huge deficit in what, what then do we do with people who have this mm-hmm. in their story and in their present? What do we do with them and what services can we provide? Um, and so one of the things that I feel I definitely have taken from our, um, our audience is really listening to women. And that's a huge tenant of nurse midwifery. It's a huge tenant of um, women supporting women is that we listen to each other. And mm. I have seen personally in this podcast, the power of sharing personal story and helping people yeah. integrate their story of their birth into their, into their lives. So I started to do a little investigation and see that this is actually something that has been identified and done in those groups that we're talking about. So if you take veterans, for example, um, there's a lot of study and work on how to integrate their traumatic story into life so that they can share that either with their family and friends, or if they can primarily, it begins with sharing that story with yourself. And so one of the things that's really exciting in in the work that I'm doing is really kind of understanding and learning how ultimately powerful it is for you to tell your story to yourself and um, what what a major impact that can have on how you actually process, perceive, and integrate that. So, you know, the research is very clear as far as women who identify with PTSD, some of the effects that it can have in your life, which is, you know, an decreased intimacy with your partner, uh, prolonging having more kids. There's studies that have shown it affects your uh, ability to attach with your infant because, you know, anyone who knows even just, you know, a, a dime size about PTSD, it's all about exposure and trigger. And a unique aspect of motherhood is if your trigger is the birth experience with your child, you don't get a break from having your trigger in your life. Mm. And, you know, I I don't say that I, that's such a hard sentence to say because I don't want to say that women blame their children or see them as a trigger, but it is, it is a real life. And even sometimes like we talk about such a body experience, postpartum is such a body. On some level that is what's happening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think when people experience postpartum anxiety in particular, that Mm -hmm. really becomes that trigger. And, and you don't, (laughs) you don't like, you don't undo having that trigger in your life. And it is, I think it is really debilitating and it's really guilt inducing because like you said, nobody wants to identify with, you know, their child being, the trigger, you know, that's just not like language or posture that, that we want to use. It's not something we want to reinforce. It's definitely not something that we want to, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to generate energy around that. And yet there's, you know, shying away from that subject and, and, and even that realization is, is such a big part of the problem. Like we're absolutely, you know, deficit. And continuing that to say, you know, for a lot of people, if, birth is kind of the center of the trauma that they experience, whether that's, you know, the actual delivery or the actual, like whatever phase of birth that was, whether it was labor or when the baby was caught or how the baby came out or what happened afterwards. You also have all of those players in that room, you know, for most people that includes the partner. And so really kind of getting to go through your story and say like, these are ways in which you were really, really helped me. And these are ways in which you failed me. But 
needing to do that in the space of early parenting, which is very, very difficult to do. And then your provider, who might be your primary actually contact to express your trauma. What if they were part of that story and you don't feel safe talking with them about feeling as if your birth was traumatic? And I, I think that that specifically, you know, for me personally would be difficult. I have a really difficult time when I'm live processing something to say to someone, hey, this is how you really hurt me right. in this moment. Yeah, I kind of need hard. that space to come back to it and to say like, okay, now I'm feeling better. And now I can tell you, you really let me down. But if you're really in the, that postpartum um, period experiencing PTSD or having symptoms of PTSD, your women's healthcare provider is usually your primary contact. And so you have to go to the person who might have been a part of your trauma and say, I feel I was traumatized by you. And that is really difficult to do. Yeah. I don't think, and so, I don't think most people do that. I mean, yes. I just don't think that we have the emotional programming for that, you know? No, it's, I think that's a very interesting way of putting it because that's, I mean, that's the essence of it is it's, yeah. it's not that you are unable or not. It's not, again, it's not about strength or clarity. It's literally, it, it it's in, in that live processing moment, you may not even be able to identify that. Yeah. 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 And, and to me, this really comes back to just like community and culture as a whole. And, and obviously we, it feels like there isn't an episode that goes by where we don't dig into this in some regard. And this is a huge, huge component of, you know, the work and the groups that I do with women as well around loss and, and really the entire purpose of the community that we're trying to create is that like when, when women are isolated and when, you know, for example, like you just, what you just said is so true. Many people, even though they probably would never actually share on that kind of a level with their primary care provider, the fact that the primary care provider is the sole and potentially only person that they could have that kind of conversation with is, is ludicrous. Like we don't, we don't have the communal structures that we need to support the emotional work that comes with motherhood. It just comes with it. Mm -hmm. It's part of it. Whether you have, whether you have an empowering enlightened birth experience or experience any, you know, any level of, of trauma or dissatisfaction with your birth, whatever kind of postpartum struggles you have, whatever potential like infertility or loss experiences you've had, we don't have, we don't have anywhere to really plug those in. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the unique things that um, is definitely evident in the literature is that people need time. Um, a lot of these yeah. follow-ups are, as we know, four and six weeks out from delivery. And that's, none of these things might actually even be showing up for women yet. Um, you're still just like crying about your boobs not working. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, surviving on very little sleep and maybe, you know, yeah. maybe you are very fortunate and you have had a ton of support. So you, maybe, you know, you had in-laws and your parents and your sister and those people are so present early on. And it isn't really until right. around that six month mark that they really start seeing people kind of coming out and really realizing it, maybe if it wasn't there at six weeks, kind of coming into that at six months. And so a lot of the research that's even been done is really limited because unless you have long-term follow-up, these things might not surface. And again, it might not surface till your next pregnancy. Like we're saying that you don't really know. I think, you know, all this to say that I basically feel like we need to give women the space to, to process and to, to show up and, and to say, mm -hmm. you know, it's been 18 months and today I realize this is really difficult for me. There's no statute of limitations on trauma. Oh gosh, wow, I love that. <laughs> and there's no there's I'm writing that down. <laughs> and there is no 
there's no amount of time that that should be discouraged from seeking help. So I think that that's really there's no statute of limitations on trauma. I mean, that's so powerful. Like what I was about to say, and I think you said it much better is like, we have to stop asking people to move on. Mm -hmm. We have to, like, we have to stop asking people to package it up and put it on the shelf and get with the program. It just isn't, it just isn't reality. And, you know, in that same vein, and I know we've shared this and women have shared this, we have to stop judging each, each, we have to stop judging each other for what we think our trauma is. Yeah. Um, And trauma is not a, you know, trauma is not best defined by a group. It is best defined by an individual. And I feel that that's so important and I'm guilty, you know, and I, I think anyone who is really self-aware will say they are guilty of at some point hearing someone's trauma and feeling like it was small and shouldn't be traumatic or hearing someone's trauma and it, it being traumatic to me and my defense being that response. And I think it's very, very important. um, You know, primarily women listen to this podcast. I feel like we speak to women a lot, Um, but anyone in our audience, it's so important for you to know that, you are allowed to think of anything that has happened to you as need for processing. So maybe you don't even identify with trauma. Maybe trauma is an extreme word for you. Maybe maybe you identify with difficulty or maybe you identify with certain aspects of your women's healthcare experience, your sexuality experience, your intimacy experience, your birth experience. And you say, I've never felt right about that. I feel like that is such a common reoccurring metaphor in women sharing their story yeah. is that it's not necessarily that I felt like this was a harm to me, but I didn't feel right about it. Something in my intuition, which we talk a lot about a lot on mother birth as well, something in my intuition was off and just giving yourself space, whatever that might look like, you know, it doesn't always look like, you know, one-on-one treatment. It doesn't always look like group treatment. Sometimes being able to process that just looks like this, a conversation with a friend and saying, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about, you know, two years ago I saw this provider and I'm really thinking about this and how it really impacted me. And we hope again, that women sharing their story in some ways does stir that up in in a positive way. Um, And that's why women to women stories are so powerful because I might see something in what you say that I identify with and that I can then see something in me that that I need to work on. Or that I want to give to someone else. I want to give someone else the freedom to to feel that. Maybe, maybe six years ago, someone told me a story, and I never thought of that as being maybe harmful or hurtful to them. And now, because I met you and you shared your story with me, I go back to that person. And I say, "Hey, you know, you shared this with me six years ago, and I just want to say, like, thank you for sharing that with me. It must be really difficult, and I wanted to check in with you and see how you're doing." Mm. How empowering would that be? Yeah, big time. I think. Uh, it's so it's so true that we just hear this again and again and again from women that something felt off, something didn't feel right, and they rarely feel like they have permission to to you know deal with it or process it, let alone identify it. You know, and even just a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode with Sarah Rosser, episode sixty one, where she talked about you know des- like wanting, desiring to have this redemptive experience of another birth like wanting the redo and I resonate with that I absolutely wanted that after my first birth I wanted that after you know my stillbirth I think not everyone uses that language but I think that many many people on on some level or another really really have that feeling and I think that just like Laura just said 
if you, you know, even if you don't resonate with the, you know, the language of trauma and, and it's not about the language, it's really about your personal experience. If you have, if you have had those kind of feelings where you, you have this, this urge, this desire to like have another chance, you know, to, to be able to do the whole thing again, then there's something, there's something there for you to dig into. There's something there that, that needs to be, to be brought into the light. And man, if there's anything that I think both of us would say to women, it's that like you, your, your experience belongs, like Mm -hmm. your, your journey belongs. And one of the things that I always talk to women about in, in my groups is that everyone has a seat at the table. You know, everyone, everyone belongs here. The, the, per, the person who has had multiple losses to the person who is, you know, pregnant with their first baby and like just talking about strollers and, you know, car seats, like we all belong at the same table. Nobody's journey is more significant or more important or more, um, you know, scary, you know, we just, we, we need each other. We all need to be, to be sharing space with each other. And so I want to ask you, Laura, as you're, you know, doing all of this research and as you're preparing for what's next in your project, how are you planning to implement, you know, these ideas around community, around storytelling into the work that you want to do? Yeah. So kind of like I mentioned, um, this last year has been a big synthesis of evidence. So what that fancy really just means is I'm reading a lot and taking a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking to my Beautiful columns. Notes. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Laura's <laughs> notes, it's like, they could, you could turn her, you could turn her study notes into one of those like adult coloring books. <laughs> we'll have to post some notes or something. <laughs> but all that to say, you know, like I said, a lot of it's looking to colleagues who've been working in, in trauma for a while, um, seeing what they've been doing, um, seeing what's working. And, you know, research is very difficult. Um, it's a long commitment to advancing um, outcomes for people, really. If, if mm. you can boil it down, it's really, you know, the people that you meet who are doing research, um, and the people that I get to meet who are doing women's health research, it is out of passion. It is out of a commitment to moving forward in a way that will empower women. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. Sometimes research is about making money. Sometimes research is about making things more efficient or more effective. Um, But in my corner of the earth, um, I'm working with nurses and midwives who are trying to make the experience better for women. So taking from our colleagues in um, the fields of psychology, um, specifically trauma psychology and research, and really seeing that there are a lot of ways to kind of start to make space for people with trauma. Um, A big one is cognitive behavioral therapy. Obviously, people have heard about CBT, it's talk therapy. Um, And I feel like that the research is pretty consistent that that should be a part of your your journey, Um, especially Mm -hmm. if you end up with enough. So PTSD is diagnosed by symptoms, um, self-reported, most like most psychiatric testing. And so if you take a, a PTSD assessment and you hit enough in each category to have a PTSD diagnosis, then I would recommend um, implementing CBT in your life. And you would get that also from your insurance if you have that diagnosis, hopefully. Um, but, uh, another huge portion and of study. And even if you don't have that diagnosis, I think mm-hmm. it's important to, to say that if you, if you feel like you have something to process and are struggling to process it on your own, you know, Absolutely. therapy is extremely beneficial. Absolutely. And for tons of reasons, you know, we 
I think we have talked about our own personal um, journeys of therapy. I know a lot of guests have talked about that as well. Um, not only are they shepherds and guides of that experience, but it also is a person who can help you see your progress. Um, and I think that's very, truly important when you're trying to kind of resolve, um, especially things that you, maybe if you've kept them inside. Um, another huge arm that I see consistently in the research is groups. So um, people benefit from being with each other and sharing trauma. Um, research is very, very clear that by sharing your own trauma, like I said, knowing your own trauma, writing your own trauma, it's narrative therapy is actually physically writing down your own trauma and then having the strength and the courage to take the step to share that with someone else is not only empowering um, for you as an individual, but it helps you to integrate your story into your real life. Um, yeah. And we talk about that a little bit with sharing birth stories specifically. You know, we happen to be on the short list of people who get to hear a lot of people's birth stories, but not everybody has that. Um, not everybody has a friend that they can share that with, or maybe they don't feel they can share that with their community because their community had beautiful, perfect births and theirs just wasn't that way. And or I so love that people. part about, yeah, yeah. And I think it was yeah episode 57 with Rebecca Fraser. She, she shares about that. And um, her struggle with PTSD yeah. and birth is that her community did not identify with her trauma and she did not identify her trauma yeah. with her community. So again, do you finding... know that her episode is one of our uh, highest downloaded episodes? No, I didn't know that. It's very encouraging yeah. to me because I, I, I feel like it's yeah, a absolutely. huge, powerful story to share. So about. powerful. And I think that Rebecca, if you're listening to this, you know, I think that she was worried that, Oh gosh, like, will people resonate with this? You know, is, is this something that, you know, that will matter to people? And I think that people across the board resonate with, with feeling like a birth experience just was, was harmful on, on this really fundamental level. Like it just, it, it was not, it was not life giving. And, and I think that that's something that is really hard to acknowledge in our culture where the, the mantra across the board is, you know, healthy baby, happy, healthy baby, have healthy mama. And that's what we're focused on. And I love that we've had so many guests recently, like Rebecca, like Natalie Brenner that have said, like, actually I can be, I can experience grief and gratitude at the same time. Of course, mm -hmm. I am happy that my baby is healthy, but I am struggling. Mm -hmm. And that is, is so powerful to be able to do, to hold those things that seem so mutually exclusive. And in our culture, they are defined as mutually exclusive, but they are not. Mm -hmm. I think that is so true. And that's why the group, the group aspect can be very po powerful. And, you know, we do see, we've built an online community of people sharing stories, but my goal is to extend that and say, you know, we are, we're learning from, again, we're learning from looking to our left and looking to our right, what's working. And so women who identify with traumatic birth need to share their stories with other women who identify with traumatic birth. Um, yeah. And my project is creating exactly that space. So finding a, a space, whether that be physically a space um, in a community here and then physically a space online um, mm -hmm. where women are sharing that story with each other. And yeah really looking at over a period of time of working on, again, their own narrative and then also sharing that narrative with others and listening to the narrative of others and seeing how that really helps them integrate their trauma. Yeah. That's going to be so powerful. That's going yeah, to be really, really powerful. I really feel like it makes sense. It's just something that makes sense. And again, it, it doesn't require uh, 
you know, it doesn't require a doctoral level education to understand that sharing your story with other people and hearing other people's story is powerful. And Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take much of a step to say, I could see how that would work. I could see how that would help. Um, you know, and, and any kind of therapy, any kind of group care and any kind of, you know, even coaching is, is not to cure people. And I want to make sure that nobody's hearing that and what we're saying that, oh, if you do these things and you won't have trauma or, oh, if you do these things and you'll feel better. Um, I think it's more of kind of opening the dialogue and opening the mind to things that might be helpful along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the questions that I have been getting asked pretty frequently in the last few weeks about, you know, the, the trust your body again course, which I'm doing for women who experience mm-hmm. pregnancy loss is people ask me like, what about, what about if I just had a bad birth? <laughs> you know, what if, yeah. like, what if I just, what if I like didn't have a loss but I don't trust my body after what happened. I don't feel like I can do this again with any degree of confidence, with any degree of, of you know, joy and excitement and, and just, you know, re- any ability to relax into the experience. And so I think that the space that you're creating is, is so important to that. And it's, it's so close to my own heart because of, because of my own experiences and because I have experienced a really peaceful joyful, grounded, connected birth after experiences of loss and trauma. And so I know how powerful and how healing and freeing that, that experience can be. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm so passionate about this and I, I love that you are, that you are creating this space. And, um, I know that, you know, the details are still forthcoming in terms of, you know, timeline and format, but for people listening, we're going to be, we're going to be sharing, you know, with this community, the ability to participate in these groups that Laura is talking about. Um, so it's, you know, it's something that I think is going to be really beneficial to, to women in this community who have these experiences of, you know, whether they fully identify with, with trauma or whether it's just like something didn't feel right. And I don't know, I don't know what it means. You know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. a space for you to, to really um, share those experiences and, and experience the healing that does come from doing that. And I think it's really, you know, important to say too, and, you know, maybe you'll have something to say about this with uh, trust your body again, is that a lot of people, you know, we talked about that person coming to the midwife for their second experience, and they want that second experience to not, to not be anything like the first experience. Mm -hmm. And so often processing, you know, like a, like you're saying, quote unquote, bad birth is to have a different outcome. Mm -hmm. And something that's very interesting in some of the research is that you can have PTSD with your birth, regardless of the events of the birth. Yes. So of course there are things that we would identify again, you know, I love your, how you are always clear with saying on paper, having a stillbirth would be more traumatic than having a long induction, an epidural and an OP baby, right? On paper, losing your child has to be more traumatic Not and losing Rowan was traumatic. However, on paper, it doesn't make sense that the first one is what you needed to process, but it was. And that's because again, it is trauma is defined by the person experiencing it. Yeah. And so our healing and there are so many factors. So many factors. So our healing and our ability to move forward into whatever your second experience might be, may not even be a birth. It might just be normal. It might be everyday life. That might be your, your second experience might be, how do I deal with 
this thing that happened in an everyday way. And I love that when yeah. Rebecca shares, she talks about that. It wasn't, she actually got to a point where physically she kind of understood the trauma physically, yeah. but it was the everyday stuff that was difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, and she chose to have a C-section so for which for most people would be traumatic, but was empowering. And that's why I think her story is so powerful is because being able to move into your next thing is not, again, it's not about the outcome of the second thing. Right. You don't get to feel better about your first birth after your second birth is over. Yeah. It's actually about just learning to understand the, the, your story, period. Yeah. In the space that you're in right now. And right. that's what I, I wanted to ask you about. That's that's obviously something um, from the outside in with Trust Your Body again is how do, how do you how do you kind of assert that with the women you're working with? If, what if they never have a child again? What if yes. they never get to have birth again? So I mean, how, the, do, how do you do yeah. that in that community? The, the foundation, like the absolute foundational framework of trust your body again, is that trust can't be contingent. It has nothing to do with guarantees. It has nothing to do with outcomes. We don't, we want to externalize trust. We want there to be a doctor that says, oh, that'll never happen again. Like that was because of this. And look, now you're, now you're better and it won't happen again. Or we want to like say, well, I didn't eat soft cheeses this time. So everything's going to be fine. Like we want to externalize trust and trust Mm -hmm. has to be internalized. It has to be something that is us connecting to our intuition and acknowledging that despite the risk of loss, despite the risk of hurt, despite the risk of trauma, despite the risk of any of these things that, you know, we, we don't, we can go into birth wanting, you know, the, the, you know, medication free, this, that, and the other, and end up with a totally different experience than that. And if that is where our trust is, as far if our trust has been externalized to count on those factors, then we will experience trauma. We will be disappointed. We will be let down by that experience. And ultimately, trust has to be this internal connection to our intuition that guides us that says that despite these risks, I know that it is a more advantageous, a more uh, healthy and and even positive experience to to like be on this journey with an open heart. And to do that Mm -hmm. means that no matter what the outcome is, whether I get pregnant again, whether I have the home birth that I want, whether I, you know, get preeclampsia again, what, no matter what happens on this journey, that I'm connected to something on a deeper level than how it all plays out. And it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's the foundation. It's the foundation. Mm -hmm. I think that that is such a difficult thing to parse out um, in the midst of motherhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether it's planning to become pregnant, being pregnant, having a baby, having a five-year-old, having a 12-year-old, having a 13-year-old. is <laughs> That my ability to... I hate the word happy because I feel like it's not... I don't know. Yeah, it's just the word too. happy. Yeah. Happy is fine. My ability to be happy with my life is not contingent upon yeah. my circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, you can you can deposit any word in that space. Like, my healing is not contingent. My ability to be present is not contingent. My growth is not contingent. Like, we we have to we have to be able to define these these like components that are so so critical to how how we see our journeys and it I just think that 
community is always, always the answer. It is the biggest piece of the pie. It's the biggest piece of the puzzle. You know, we talk so much in trust your body again as well about community mirroring. Like if you're affirming to yourself all day that, you know, this pregnancy is going well and I am, you know, I am trusting and I am confident and I am joyful and I am present and I am engaged and I am all of these things, but your community is not mirroring that back to you. If you have people in your life that are saying like, oh, well, you know, if, you know, if, and what if, and have you thought about this? And are you taking your prenatal vitamins? Like, you know, have you, have you like seen, are you, are you making the right choices about your, you know, your, your prenatal care or your birth choices or whatever? I mean, if your community is not mirroring back that same language to you, that is affirming the, you know, the journey that you want to be on, you're, you've just amplified the, the amount of work that you have to do to sustain right. that, that posture, to sustain that, that ability. And I think it's, it's crazy to expect that we can do that, that against the, the flood, the onslaught of messages that we get from culture. If we're getting those from our, in, from our inner circle as well, I mean, it, is it even possible? I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I can truly say that if, that on my journey, if I didn't have people like you and, and other friends and, you know, my own partner that mirrored back to me the trust and the healing that I was choosing for myself, that I don't know if I could have done it. Yeah. No, and I think that, you know, it's really difficult to figure out people who are bringing that toxicity to you if they are disguised as your friends and family. For sure. Or maybe maybe the opposite. Maybe your friends and family are just you don't know that they are toxic to you until you see that clearly. Right. And some of it is this education, understanding like there's a difference between concern and worry, mm-hmm. um, and there's a difference between support and anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, or maybe concern and anxiety. I think it it gets a little dicey, and I think you know that's why you know. Why do I think that people come to midwives to heal their birth experiences? Uh, because we we take a step back and hold space for physiologic birth. Mm-hmm. Because we take a posture. Yeah, we, we take a posture for listening. We take a posture of supporting women where they're at. I don't think it's like a magical thing or a promised outcome, which is I think, you know, that's again, that slippery slope is you don't seek the healing to get a promised outcome. You seek the healing from a healer. Yeah. Um, who teaches you to be a healer for yourself. Absolutely. And I think that that is a huge thing. Um, if you're listening and, and interested in, in what Melissa's doing as well as that it's it, the secret is Melissa. And I know that cause she's, she's my dear friend and I know what it is to have her in your life. But, but the real accomplishment is her kind of helping you find your own healer. Yeah. In yourself absolutely um, and you know I think we we both live in these two dichotomous brains where one is so in, inherently and innately trusting and in just the, the carnal creature that we are and the spiritual creature that we are 
um, and the things that come from that. And we both are researchers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have this other half of our brain that's yeah. like investigative and we want to look around and see what people are doing and saying and, and be well read, be well understood. And, um, we hope that that's what the podcast is too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a space for you to hear that true human experience and women's stories and also to learn from them. Yeah. And, you know, not just guest experts, but from women who have become experts of themselves yeah. and who share their stories to empower women to become experts of themselves. Cause I think that that is such an empowering part of the journey and healing is taking that time to actually understand yeah. yourself. Yeah. And that is what the journey of, you know, awakening intuition is. It's really, it's taking that time. I mean, it, intuition is so innate. It is actually biologically programmed. We're just not used to listening to it. We're just not used to acting on it. And, and it just takes practice. It literally just takes practice like anything else that was, you know, like a rusty skill or something that you'd never done before. You know, it just takes practice. Um, Will you maybe just share a little bit more as we wrap up about, you know, how we're going to share with women um, about these these trauma support groups, how you're planning to kind of format those and share them? Yeah, for those of us who, or for those of you listening who've been on the journey with us, you've kind of seen Melissa roll out her program with Trust Your Body again. Uh, we do a lot of that through social media. So if you're not following us on Instagram at motherbirth.co, you're missing out on all the wonderful things we're doing. You're also missing out on incredible birth photos uh, put forward by incredible birth photographers and women. Especially now that Instagram is no longer censoring birth. We've got, (laughs) I think we've lost a few followers too, but we've been gaining even more. (laughs) Yeah. But I think you know what you're signing up for if you're following mother birth. It's going to have mothers giving birth. Or birth processes. Um, So uh, we'll be rolling out the, I will be doing an initial implementation for my schooling. And then um, we'll be opening to the public for people to participate in um, groups. We're going to try to keep them small, um, no more than eight to 10 women um, who are willing to share story together. And there will be some formatting to it. So we'll send out an all call of people interested and start a list and then get some dates out there. Um, Lisa, do you want to share how people can access Trust Your Body Again right now? Yeah, so um, the course Trust Your Body Again for Women Who've Experienced Pregnancy Loss is um, it opens every couple of months. So if you just go to our website, motherbirth.co, and go to course, you'll see the next available enrollment cycle for that. You can always get on the wait list if it's not open. And the same will be true for, for what Laura's talking about. So if you, you know, if you check out our website, we'll have a link there where you can get on a wait list to get more information about joining these groups. And um, also, like Laura said, follow us on Instagram because that is one of the best ways to stay in the loop on the latest stuff that we're working on. So we love sharing this space with all of you and, you know, more and more and more, we would get women that reach out to us that want to share their stories and want to be part of this community in a bigger way and, and being able to interact with you through, through these courses and groups is a really, really life-giving thing for us because it's, these are the things that we care about more than anything. Um, but the feedback that we're getting from our community has been really monumental as well. So we know that it's been really impactful and life-giving to you as well. Um, so thank you guys for being on this journey with us. We are 
like we said, almost a year and a half into this podcast and into really holding this important, important space for women and watching it evolve into some really incredible things. So we couldn't do that without all of you listening, without all of you supporting us. And we're really grateful. Yeah. Thank you for, to our faithful listeners and those who've been with us since the beginning. And if you've joined us along the way, make sure you go back and listen. We always have our full catalog of episodes open. Um, each of them yeah. has a title. If it, it tickles your fancy or not, we encourage you to listen. Each story is unique and powerful and it's a woman sharing her transition to motherhood. Yes. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to mother birth and a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.